Hello and welcome to Calamity, a podcast about natural and not so natural disasters. In each episode, we examine a catastrophic event from world history. We are your hosts, the Coolman Sisters. I'm Jama. I'm Jillian. And I'm Caitlin. And today we are doing episode four, and our topic is um, the Great Lisbon Earthquake of uh, 1755. So we're going way back. Um, an earthquake is only the beginning of the story, so um, stay tuned for what happens next. <laughs> um, so the, the, our location is Lisbon, and it's exciting for us sisters because Jama and Caitlin have been to Lisbon. I have not, but they have. I love it. Beautiful place. I am so excited to talk about Lisbon for the next hour. I love <laughs> Lisbon so much. It was so amazing. So the trip that Jema and I did, we started in Madrid, which was beautiful and amazing, uh, you know, massive city, um, lots and lots of art there. But then we went to Lisbon and we spent like a week there and the, the like being able just to experience Lisbon on the heels of Ma- Madrid, this like very, very, you know, popular and and powerful city and then lisbon it's a city in its own right but just smaller it's on on the water it's got such this um cobblestone feel to it and windy streets uh it was just amazing so i'm excited to just relive uh my memories from that trip uh for the next hour it's gonna be great (laughs) it actually has a lot more history than madrid because madrid they kind of like decided let's put the capital in the middle of the country and um i can't remember exactly when that happened but um it doesn't have as much i mean there's a lot of cool historical stuff there but not as old as some of the stuff in lisbon oh yep. let me tell you <laughs> let me, lisbon it, the, its location on the, the what what's it called the tagus river mm-hmm. i think it's the tagus um and it's kind of it's on the atlantic but it's protected mm-hmm. by these giant hills and mountains around it so right off the plus it's just freaking beautiful is what i mean you've seen it i haven't but from what i can tell all right as early as 1000 bce the phoenicians uh those phoenicians made a little settlement in lisbon or in the area they did they did and then the greeks and the carthaginians established trading communities there as well it was just a great spot for for country different countries different communities to kind of meet and trade of course uh the romans came in of course they were everywhere and they were the ones who named the mm-hmm. place olisipo olisipo which eventually became lisboa uh and then um visigoths and moors <laughs> came and they made it a citadel uh, I think that means they put a Maybe. wall around it. Yeah, something. Can we chime in on that? No. Um, and then in 1260, it became the capital of Portugal. Portugal at that point was kind of a, like a small little fledgling <laughs> trying to become a country thing, but it became the uh-huh. capital of Portugal in 12, uh, 1260. And um, with no time in no time at all it kind of had the air of of one of europe's most like vibrant cities because um it was it was during the age of discovery they went the portugal went out and acquired gold and goods from around the world they had they had great fleets of ships plus they had great um mm-hmm. trades with other countries so they were able to kind of build a really beautiful city. So by the 1700s, Lisbon was, of course, still a beautiful city, but uh, it was, to a certain extent, wallowing in medieval destitution. <laughs> That's a quote from from my source book, which I will, um, well, I'll give it to you right now. It's called The Last Day by Nicholas Schrady. It's a very, very good book about this disaster. Um so the goods and the goods and the money and the gold and the stuff that was from all over the world um it went almost entirely to the royals and the catholic church 
and and to some of the rich you know the upper class so the if you were poor in lisbon and almost everyone was you were really poor Mm -hmm. i mean the money did not trickle down so it was a rough time to be citizen but is that the case uh at that time period around that whole area of the world i mean that's i i just want to clarify if you're saying it that's specific to lisbon or that's That's a great question and it it was it's not specific to lisbon but it's it was more pronounced in lisbon and anywhere else at that time probably because the other the other the rest of europe was kind of moving into um the uh the renaissance they were Mm -hmm. starting to like think about things and and see things in a broader picture and they were giving up some of their religious ideas and thinking more um philosophically uh so so other like the rest of europe was kind of in this big like kind of push ahead and um which did not solve all there were still tons of poor people but um Mm -hmm. the uh spain and lisbon spain and portugal in particular um, which were divided from the rest of Europe by mount, a mountain range, they kind of sealed themselves off and they kept up with the Spanish Inquisition stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, right. you can't think any thoughts except Catholic thoughts. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So yeah, it was a little rough, a little rougher in, in uh, Lisbon than anywhere else. Um, however, the, I want to set the scene a little bit because um Lisbon had it was it was a great city for uh, other countries they were who were they would they would park their boats there they park them they park them oh what what would you like, do with boats <laughs> moor them do you moor them <laughs> you anchor them okay they would anchor their boats in, just the harbor. This, in my mind I'm like beep 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 I just like this parking <laughs> they're reversing it yeah yeah um so yeah, there were there were a ton of uh, merchant ships uh, from all over the world: England, Netherlands, France, Spain, Denmark, Malta. Um, so it was still a re- like a really bustling business district for the whole globe. And I would like it if you girls would talk a little bit about this because Lisbon is specifically known for being. Um, the city of seven hills and it's got the Tagus River going through it somewhere so how does that look exactly how does that work beautiful (laughs) how steep are they well they have a lot of funiculars going up and down the the hills um love a funicular (laughs) what what I've read is that like it's hard to like count the hills it's just sort of a generally kind of hilly area it's not clear that there's especially nowadays with with <laughs> so you know. it's not like okay i'll meet you on second hill yeah right i live on fifth hill but i'll meet yeah. you on second hill i think that lunch. when you're down by the water and you're looking up at the city or if say you uh take uh, a funicular or something like up up to the top so you have a vantage point where you see a lot of the city the city to me uh, my recollection of it um kind of sits in a valley and uh, like around it you can kind of look up and in each direction you're you are looking up literally um because the the seven hills kind of surrounds it and that's not exact and it's not a perfect circle but it's it was kind of just this these rolling hills on the outskirts of town for sure and then even inside of the town like Jameis mentioned that the funiculars there's a little bit of elevation here and there change as well so i don't know i hope that helps (laughs) sounds amazing (laughs) yeah um, talking a little bit about the inhabitants, um, they were sp- especially known for their piety. And of course, like I said, this was largely because they had to be, um, down by the waterfront, the Spanish Inquisition had a big building and the inquisitors rather had a big building and they would, um, you know, every day were, they were questioning new people and, and trying to see if you were, a heathen if you weren't a good catholic (laughs) so um people were regularly like daily um hung or if you were really bad then you were burned at the stake uh and and thousands people would come out to watch that Mm. i don't understand why i've never understood (laughs) 
there wasn't any Netflix. Yes. There wasn't no. There wasn't Netflix, but <laughs> I guess that's what you do. I don't really I don't like know. a horror film with that much gore, <laughs> personally. Yeah, who knows? Um, but yeah, it was it was a very very religious city. Um, let's see, more than forty parish churches, um, one hundred and twenty one oratories, ninety convents. Wow. And close to 150 religious brotherhoods and societies. Hmm. So it was just, you couldn't walk a block without finding another church. It was like Starbucks. It was. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, exactly like Starbucks. (laughs) With a little extra burnt at the stake. Yeah. Not burnt coffee, burnt bodies. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, so... The church wielded total control, not just over religious stuff, but also on education, on uh, medicine and hospitals, and um, I mean, pretty much every kind of aspect of, I mean, even the royals, to a certain extent, had to maintain very, you know, the, I mean, the Catholic Church wasn't exactly over the royals, but they had to make, there was a balance there. Like they right. had to stay extra religious themselves in order to maintain the balance with the church. So um, with, what that meant was when it came to education, they would not, like the rest of the world was, well, I shouldn't say the rest of the world, the rest of Europe, there's a whole bunch of other things going on in the world. Um, but the rest of Europe was was heading into the enlightenment. Mm-hmm. You know, they were they were sharing ideas and really, uh, education had completely changed uh, from just like strict religious edu- education to actual um, more f- philosophical education and the Catholic Church in Lisbon was not having it so you were not if you even were caught with the text from one of the Enlightenment scholars mm-hmm. you probably would be I don't know beaten or something punished in some way yeah um, and all, and those books were just completely not allowed the only thing you were allowed to learn in school was religious education. I hope you like the Bible because that's <laughs> what you're going to learn. Um, there were so many clergy in, Portu- in Portugal at this time. Uh, 200,000 clergy. Wow. Uh, out of a population of 3 million. It was, uh, this is according to historian Charles Boxer, the most priest-ridden <laughs> city <laughs> in the world. <laughs> yeah, I just like that phrasing. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> soon we should get down. Yes, let's get down to the actual day. So we are, it's November 1st, which is uh, All Saints Day. A very big holy day. So everyone... Um, is like, very few people are home. They're all in their churches. And this happens at about 9 a.m. So it's like right, kind of oh, like right in, the, yep. right in the morning hours. And um, the first thing that happens is a, a really strong earthquake. Uh, we don't have, because it was so long ago, 1755, we don't have a way to measure what it was exactly, but um, very strong. It brought down a number of churches Mm-hmm. Um, including, um, they had just kind of finished building the, the, this beautiful basilica of Sao Vicente de Fora. Um, they had like, just finished, but like just finished building it, and um, it it uh, was in the and in the earthquake. Correct me if I'm wrong, but things took a lot longer to build back then. So <laughs> it, now it's. Like, oh, I, I'm going to put a church up. I'm going to be ready this time next year if everything goes correctly. And like, at that time, it took decades to make to build buildings. So how devastating yeah. would it be? Like, yay! And the unveiling of years, we might have a church. Yeah, and then it finally gets done and then is like destroyed in one day. <laughs> All right, we start with day one again. <laughs> day one of 40 years. Yes, so that said, um, the fact that the people were out of because the homes in Lisbon for the majority of the people were tackle not these structures I mean they they in the earthquake they just collapsed mm-hmm. all of them like 
they were not built to withstand any kind of anything. So that is really fascinating that the fact it was this religious day, um, even not just a regular Sunday, even, but like an extra special one saved many, many, many lives. Cause it, I, clearly you just mentioned one of the churches crumbled, but I'm suspecting most of the churches were strong enough to endure it. Uh, I think all of the churches had some some amount of damage, mm-hmm. and but so and then people were who were in the churches. Some of people ran outside into the streets, which was it's hard to tell whether that was safer than being inside the church. Mm-hmm. But at least the ceiling wasn't falling on you. Mm-hmm. Um, but also keep in mind, people are so pious. There was a lot of people who kind of just stayed and prayed mm-hmm. uh, and were crushed mm-hmm. because they didn't leave um, because you know whatever was happening was clearly God talking to them in some way. Right. Punishing them for something or whatever. So they would yeah. pray and pray and pray. Okay. So that was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't much longer uh, after that. Um, I mean, people had barely begun to kind of like get the dust had barely begun to settle. They were kind of getting their bearings. Certainly some people were crushed under buildings or half, dead or whatever um but nobody had yet like had a chance to even start a rescue mission and then there was a, another earthquake which was even bigger than the first oh wow um so all those buildings even the like really big ones that seemed so strong the first earthquake had maybe like shaken their foundation uh-huh. and the second one caused them to collapse mm-hmm. oh. so it was really there was really nothing <laughs> nothing left uh in lisbon and the, I mean, it was, I don't know if it was necessarily to be blamed on the churches, but because they had, they were having these services, they had all these candles burning and the candles touched fabric, which touched wood, which touched, I mean, so the, the city was a big pile of rubble and then that pile of rubble caught on fire. Um, from a number of different sources. Mm -hmm. So you might, I mean, every block was on fire. It it seems like the way people reported it. So the citizens, uh, for the most part, they ran down towards the water? Towards the water, yeah. Mm -hmm. They ran down to the... Oh, no! (laughs) I know where this is going! (laughs) (laughs) Well, we didn't tell our listeners this yet, but, um, you know, I I had, uh, uh, and I'm I'll try not to give anything away, but <laughs> I will say that in preparation for this episode, I had done some marketing and I dubbed this the triple threat. So I know what the three <laughs> threats are and I'm aware, of, I'm aware of what's coming. What's interesting, Jillian, though, I didn't know there were two earthquakes. Um, yes. I knew that there were the three things, but technically it was four. Um, an earthquake, one, earthquake, two, and then fires. Yeah, well, and the way that that's the way earthquakes work to a certain extent. And right. even after, it's not really a part of the story, but even you know, for, from a month or two after, Little they tremors. would still get tremors. Interesting. Every now and then, which of course must have been terrifying. Yeah. Um, but by then they were starting on the rebuilding yeah. process. I'll get into that. The so, other thing, the other thing I want to uh, chime in about too, uh, when you talk about, and I, this is centuries different, and I realize that, but. The, there's a story from East Coast um, history. There was a town, and I'm sure the two of you know it, and I don't, but um, there was a fire that started, and it just, like, kept going, and it just wiped the whole town out. Like, it started with someone's cow tipping over a... Not Chicago. <laughs> Maybe it's Chicago? Okay, so I'm sorry. But it's O'Leary's cow. That's not I how thought... it started, by the way, but yeah. It's, it's like a, <laughs> what is the word? Apocryphal? What is a... Yeah. Is that the word? Yeah, yeah, and well, it it it's also like the, it's part of you know stigmatized the the the, right. uh, the Irish. They weren't liked, and so that's why it was blamed on an Irish person. And all of that. Okay, so, well, I'm sorry, sorry. For whole other it, just... whole other disaster. We'll talk about another time. I'm sure. <laughs> for, for sure, it's on the list. But the reason I bring it up is I I had in my mind I knew there was an earthquake and I knew there was a fire and I suspected <laughs> oh yeah I bet something caught on fire and then it just like went whoosh through the city. And what's interesting to imagine though. This was multiple starting points, different Absolutely. fires that then come like, together. If you've got a church with candles on every block mm-hmm. and each one starts its own fire yeah, and then they come together. Wow. Oh, gosh. And the other thing is it, it was really, really windy that afternoon. So 
the fire just went everywhere. Wow. Okay. Um, and you think for a second, I mean, uh, there were a lot of people who were trapped in the rubble and couldn't get out. They then, of course, died in the fire. Yeah. So um, that's really harsh, but just so you kind of think about those people too. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Everyone ran. Okay. City was now blazing out of control. The morning breeze had risen to violent gusts. Um, so thousands of people, thousands of people had gathered along the waterfront and they were trying to get onto the boats. Like the idea was to get out into the water. So they were kind of, there were, there were a ton of boats there. So they were kind of just trying to go with, with the ferry owners to the bay. So that was working okay. Um, people were getting on boats, and as soon as the boat was full, it would head out into the bay to get away from the fire. Um, I kind of find it funny. They, they paint a picture that the priests were kind of walking through the crowd, like praying and like intoning. Mm-hmm. Um, and cutting in line? <laughs> no, no. Oh, that's what I imagined. I Let me get to the ferry. I need to pray over the people in the ferry. Although there probably were some. There probably were some. But it was, I mean, I just, you know, at every step of the way, the priests are kind of a major part of the story. Huh. They're, they're just in the way. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's... No, and, and I shouldn't be laughing. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a funny day, but just the, the ridiculousness of, um, of, I don't know, tradition and plays out into catastrophes. Very interesting. All right, so here's the third disaster. Um, the earthquake had been, the epicenter had been on land, but it had shifted the water right near near there. And so now there were going to be tsunamis coming in. And there were, there were three of them, but they were right in a row. So th- three like giant walls of like 30 foot walls of water but they all came in within five minutes of each other. So, wow. um, I mean, it was done in five minutes, all three. Okay. So it wasn't like there was one and then you wait and there's one. It was kind of like, here's one. And if you, and then you even knew it, another wall of water was hitting you. So the boats were, the smallest boats were just tipped yeah. completely over, crushed in the waves. Um, people who were on open air decks of any boat were thrown into the water. Um, some of the bigger boats the biggest boats uh, were, I mean, with some damage, they were kind of able to ride it out. Mm-hmm. So it does turn out that some of the, not, not every boat. Um, by the time the tsunamis had rushed into the city, I mean, they put a little bit of the fire out. <laughs> <laughs> but by the, by the time that they were kind of done, um, there, the bay um, was just littered with broken boats, debris, and bodies floating in the water. So, when you talk about tsunamis, um, and and three quick succession, uh, and it's okay if you don't know the answer to this, but is that uncommon uh, to have three in five minutes? Um, or, I mean, I know that it's it's common to have multiple waves, but I've never never wondered before today, like typical if it's um you know they're a couple days apart or if they're a couple hours apart or in this case minutes i think that each tsunami was triggered by a different earthquake so oh um they because there was like a third one that was almost like it was just a lot smaller Mm -hmm. um just like a third shake before but by then everything had fallen down Mm -hmm. there was no 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 the third one almost was a you know just an afterthought but it did bring a third wave Mm -hmm. so um that's why there were three. Okay. Because there were three big shakes. Okay. And every time the earth moves, it displaces the water. Okay. So, Interesting. And then it's got a, it's got a splash somewhere. <laughs> okay. Just a quick note. King and his family had decided to do All Saints Day outside of Lisbon. They went to a, a nearby city where they had another castle. It was called Belem. Mm. I'm probably pronouncing that completely wrong. B-E-L-E-M. That's how we pronounced it when we were there. 
and now it's part okay. now it's part of it's it would be considered in lisbon now but at that time I it was like a it's smaller swallowed yeah up. yep well at the time it was a um it was a royal retreat that was considered like going to the country mm-hmm. you know like let's go out to the countryside and, and this was they had a castle out there and that castle it was, they, I mean, they experienced the shaking but because they were outside of lisbon um their castle there was not very badly damaged although it was there was some damage mm-hmm. um in fact the king wouldn't let his family go back in they set up tents outside in the lawn and lived in the tents for the next month or two hmm. Actually, I was just reading um, that he developed claustrophobia and uh, lived in tents for the rest of his. <laughs> he was so afraid uh, after the whole thing that, uh, yeah, he. It wasn't until he died that his daughter was able to start building like an actual palace for the royal family. Interesting. Yeah, because their their palace in in the interior of Lisbon. Um, it had been slightly damaged in the first quake and then very badly damaged in the second, huh. second rumbling. Um, so, but he was really, uh, as a character, I mean, I think he was, I mean, first of all, as a king, he was mostly interested in like getting more gold and goods and riches into his own little hands. Like I said, like th- these were not trickling down to the lower classes. So as a ruler, he was just kind of like what you'd think of like a, I don't know, big greedy guy sitting on a throne, but I mean, he loved his family and he was, he was a human, a human being, but, um, yeah, not, not especially a thoughtful ruler. And so he had no idea how to fix any of this, Mm -hmm. uh, just no idea. In fact, they were thinking the thinking at this point was, do we even bother rebuilding or should we move the capital to somewhere else? Um, which felt like a defeat in some ways. And they were also trying to figure out, like, is this a message from God? And if so, what does it say? I mean, clearly, God is saying we were really evil. This whole town, this whole city was the evilest city in the world, <laughs> and we deserve this. And um, uh, which is not true, although maybe the inqu- Inquisitors yeah, deserved it. Right. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, they were really trying to interpret what the message from God was and what to do. So moving into the reconstruction bit, there was a man named, and he was a, one of the Kings. Go ahead, Kayla. I, did she have her hand up? (laughs) Yes, she did. (laughs) Just interrupt. It's fine. Ah, well, you're starting a new bit. Um, so, population you mentioned like three million people prior and now i i just between these different things how long was there a thousand people left i mean and i just and you know you were discussing too um you were saying the people were trying to decide if they keep it as a capital i'm like what people were left <laughs> like yes uh no there the number varies again it's right hard, this long ago in history it's hard to know and also researchers would love to get their hands on some like birth and death records but they burn like every church was keeping records Mm -hmm. all those churches collapsed and then burned so Mm -hmm. um there's no way to know who lived in lisbon at Mm -hmm. the time Uh, but uh, it's estimated that the estimation is between like 25 percent and maybe 15 percent um died so actually, most of the city did survive. Wow. Um, I thought it would be much higher than that. Yeah. But no, in most disasters, it's, yeah, it's a the small, most people How many did survive. you say? I was just kidding. Uh, f- between 15 and 25% of okay. the population, is, it's estimated to have perished. Wikipedia is saying that it's between 10,000 and 100,000 people. Okay in lisbon alone because you know obviously the whole thing affected other areas of the coast and actually into spain and morocco and and other areas but i don't know that's what wikipedia is saying but i think there's other numbers tsunamis go different directions too so there were some tsunamis that went the other way and um were felt on different coasts around the globe Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that's interesting too okay so back to recovery 
well, you reminded me something I should say is that as the city is burning uh, and the tsunami, so people can't go back towards the water anymore. They don't feel safe there. The, the fire, the city's on fire. So they start walking out of the city. There's this huge um, line of people who are just, um, and it's all walks of life. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're covered in dust and they've got only, they have no possessions because mm-hmm. everything was destroyed. Uh, and they're just kind of walking out of the city trying to get somewhere. And they do, once they kind of get out far enough, they set up their own little like refugee camp. So um, they're kind of in the countryside close to Bilam, um, just kind of li- living, I mean, trying to live. They don't have a lot of supplies, but they just needed to get out of the city. So, like, thousands of people marched out of the city. Not marched, but... Yeah. What an interesting contrast. The convoy trucking through the... <laughs> I just find that to be an interesting contrast from how you set up the story with the very um, wide gap between the rich and the poor. Yeah. And then all of a sudden to have everyone just in the same playing field in the matter, you know, in the matter of hours. Disaster does that. Yeah, it does that. And then you go through this collective um, experience. It also makes people just more human when you might, might have just put them in a category before. Now you're like, oh, we shared this experience. We're actually in the same category mm-hmm. in this particular moment. All right. Any more comments or thoughts or <laughs> questions about the, the disaster itself? No, I'm, I'm set now. Jema? I'm good. Okay, then I'm going to just quickly do a bit about the relief, because um, this part is actually pretty interesting to me, and I may have written my master's thesis on it. So, <laughs> um, one of the king's secretaries of state, his name is Sebastião José de Carvalho y Melo, uh, but I'm going to call him Carvalho because that's what the author of this book calls him throughout the book and it's one of the things that I can pronounce <laughs> so he went to the king right away and said you know we need to do something right away like we need to make take action the king was entirely in- incompetent in, the- in that area mm-hmm. uh, and the king says what is to be done to meet this infliction of divine justice and Carvalho replied bury the dead and feed the living so the king put Carvalho in charge of everything. Like he, the king was not going to go back into the city. He was like, "I'm going to stay out here and let yeah. you do all the work." But he gave <laughs> Carvalho like full control. Like you can, you can do anything that needs to be done to get the city back on its feet. Um, so, and then the king he wrote a little bit about how he thought that that. Uh, God had sent Carvalho to him as an angel of relief um, <laughs> to fix the city. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, still, it, you know, the one good decision that the king made was in letting Carvalho have control because he did a much better job. Sorry for the page flipping you're hearing in the background. Okay, so Carvalho's got some, some things to figure out. He needs to get the dead out of there. Uh, because that could be that's going to foster disease. Yep, he needs to get water and food to the survivors, um, and then he needs to make sure there's that crime is kept to a minimum. Because in the there's always in the wake of a disaster like this, there's going to be some people who are stealing stuff and look, you know, you know, like off the dead people, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, or whatever they can find that's left in a house that didn't burn completely. So uh, <clears throat> those are his like primary things, and he needs to do those things before he can even start thinking about rebuilding. rebuilding. Yep. And certainly at some point, like there also needs to be clearing of debris so that you can get water and supplies in. So one, so there were a number of uh, marauders. <laughs> that's how it's. <laughs> <laughs> explained in the book they're just like wandering gangs of guys who are going around killing people and sh- stealing stuff and just being bad being bad and so he uh carvalho sets this new rule 
and he says, if you're seen to be stealing, uh, then you get hanged. No trial, no nothing. <laughs> so, and a lot of people were yeah. uh, hung in the first few days, and then they were left to hang in yeah. the city squares. Um, specifically as a you know reminder, don't do this. Uh, of course, it was abused. The policy was abused mm-hmm. because um, people would report, you know, a Moorish or a Jewish <gasps> specifically because they shame on them. I know people are evil. Yeah, people are bad. Don't be a people. <laughs> we had just talked about unity, and then there's people with racism and whatever else. Ugh. Okay. Yeah. So anyone caught looting, you get summary execution. So don't do that. Um, and then he went out to the cities um, nearby, and with the king's kind of seal, he demanded that the, the nearby cities provide them with water and, um, well, primarily with food, uh, because amazingly, Lisbon has a great water supply, a natural water supply that comes from somewhere up in the mountains there. And it was not very badly damaged. So um, it was just a matter of fixing the small amount of damage. So they did have fresh water mm-hmm. coming into the city. Uh, but they needed food really bad. So the neighboring cities were each kind of given a quota that they had to give in. Uh, he also wrote to neighboring gov- um, na- uh, other countries in Europe and explained what was going on and asked if they would help. Um, and they did. Hmm. Uh, Britain especially helped. They sent this huge, they sent like 10,000, not dollars, but 10,000 gold coins or something. And then, and, uh, <laughs> and then like a bunch of like food, like grain and timber and just, they like loaded up their ships and sent it down there. Huh. But a bunch of other um, countries helped as well. Let's see. Here we go. Here's what. Uh... Okay, sorry. It was a hundred thousand pounds, half in gold and silver. This is what Britain sent. A hundred thousand pounds, half in gold and silver, half in food and material. Uh, most of the gold, ironically, was Portuguese. Because <laughs> <laughs> Portuguese, but from the New World. They'd been paying, Portugal had been paying Britain some deficit tax or something for a while now. And so basically they were just getting their money back. Um, So they also sent 6,000 barrels of beef, 4,000 firkins of butter. I don't know what a firkin is. (laughs) It's my new favorite cuss word. (laughs) (laughs) It must be a unit of measurement, but. Uh, 10,000 quarters each of flour and wheat, 1,000 stacks of biscuits, which in Britain Biscuit. aren't biscuits cookies. I think so. I, I think, think so. That sounds Aww. like grandma's packed the, uh, grandma's packed the, the pa- yeah, care exactly. package for them. <laughs> mm. uh, 1,200 stacks of rice plus shoes, pickaxes, shovels, spades, wow. crowbars. That's actually really useful. All those values. <laughs> yes, it is. Hmm. It is. So they were the most generous. I want to say that there's... Uh, if you give, me, give me a second to find it. There was another... Um, nope. Nope. I'm out of luck. Can't find it quick enough to talk about it. But there were some other countries that sent not so helpful things <laughs> like, <laughs> i can't think of an example right now but yeah just like here's a ship full of this which is you can't use because your city is destroyed but yep. enjoy that uh the noteworthy ex- exceptions because every like pretty much everyone in europe was being helpful the noteworthy exception was versailles they <laughs> thought it was hilarious that uh lisbon had been destroyed and they even wrote like f- funny poems <gasps> to like make fun of Lisbon and their destruction oh. and they just they kind of were like well you must you know they must have deserved it 
Oh, so there was no like feud between them. It was was it still the pious thing? They were just like, oh, well, you must have been evil, or yeah, I think so. Huh. Or, but I also think people in Versailles were just, you know, little. <laughs> what, what was that again? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you French. mean. They were a little French. <laughs> Okay. Let's see. Oh, I'm out of notes. All right, the rest is on the top of my head. Okay. So, food was coming in from international sources and national sources. And he, uh, Carvalho, Carvalho made the the their local armed forces much of which had fled in that like big uh parade of people leave leaving the city which Carvalho was pissed off about he was like you should have stayed and helped um but he forced them all to come back and he basically was like either we'll shoot you or you come back <laughs> into the city there was a lot of that uh it was it was successful mm-hmm but it was kind of mean. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it did work. So he got basically all the able-bodied men to come back into the city and, and start clearing up the rubble. He instituted a rule saying no one could build any structure out of stone until he said so. Because he wanted to plan... He wanted to do some city planning. Like, oh, like, I don't want you to just build wherever you want. We're going to plan this thing out. Because it had been, I mean, the way cities had grown in the past, was it was chaos, right? Like, there, there was no grid. It was just mm-hmm. narrow streets and you'd build wherever you wanted. Uh, but he wanted to do something new and different, which was, which was really prescient of him. That was, he was thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. So once they got the rubble, rubble cleared, he actually had a couple different um, city planners slash smart guys. I don't know if they were actually city planners back then, but yeah, um, some guys come in from other countries who helped him draft a new uh, footprint for the city. And that's what Lisbon is today. So, and then, and at that point, then yes, you can come in and start rebuilding. So it's, it created in the long run. Well, first of all, when you're rebuilding something, that's, that's really good for the economy. Yeah. Uh, Cause now you, everyone has a job because everyone's rebuilding. Uh, people who own resources are getting, you know, paid for them because they're needed. So uh, it was absolutely not cool that a bunch of people died, but um in the long run, it's kind of hard to not feel like it was good for Lisbon. You've heard that with other cities too, like where there was a big fire and then they mm-hmm. rebuilt it better than before. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, uh, morally or ethically, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure how to think about it, but just in general, uh, the city is a much better city now than it was before. And they, they put in um, the most modern like sewage available mm-hmm. at that time which before the city of lisbon had been i mean you just grossness in the street mm-hmm. so like in fact the rich people were carried around on like those chairs because the streets <laughs> were so full of like crap yeah and i mean crap not yeah like, crap mm-hmm. uh then that, that they didn't want to step in it so rich people were carried around on chairs uh, up in the air and but now we've got sanitation system and we've got a plan and um so that worked out quite well the other major thing was um carvalho just wouldn't he really wouldn't make time to talk to the clergy or the priests um because they wanted to start rebuilding and get everything going with the inquisition <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that building had com- that building had completely collapsed and and so 
Carvalho just was like, look, your building collapsed. Like, you're not supposed to be here, you know. <laughs> That's what God says. <laughs> uh, so he would, he really wouldn't, wouldn't let them get a toehold um, back in the city. I mean, some of them had perished, of course. There was, they had a smaller, there was less of them than before. Mm-hmm. And all their churches were gone. And a lot of their, their loot was gone. Mm-hmm. They had tons of gold and relics and things like that. A lot of that was destroyed and gone. So they didn't really have much other historic respect. They didn't have much going for them. And, and he just wouldn't take it. He was like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can rebuild your churches if you can afford to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but no, you don't get to do an inquisition anymore and you don't get to be in charge of education and things anymore. And so um, the, it basically created a more secular society where finally you could have the books and things that have been the writings from the enlightenment across the mountains there uh, from the rest of Europe and, and finally kind of became a modern city Hmm. for the first time. You know, um, there's a lot of writings from some of the people in the city who really felt the same way. Like you could look at it a number of ways. You could say God destroyed our city because we were so sinful which didn't make sense because, oh my God, they were pious. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, you could say that God destroyed the city on purpose because he wanted us to rebuild in a new way. Yeah. Um, or you could say, this doesn't have anything to do with God. It's kind of happens. And I would take, I would take door number three first. So he... <laughs> You guys can decide for yourselves, but I think probably it had nothing to do with God and it was a natural disaster. <laughs> but yeah. you listeners, you, you think for yourself. You, yep. you decide on your own on that one. So that's the, uh, that's it's, the story. It's really right? neat to visit Lisbon today. Um, you can kind of see um, when you're on the the um you know when you're not on a hill you're on like the the um you know the lower level there are Flat these part. right these um big wide open streets uh, it's mostly all pedestrian in that in that area um i mean obviously lisbon is a huge city now but but the area the historical area um big wide boulevards um beautifully paved um big buildings but if you go start walking up the hills that surround that area um the hills were less damaged and so they weren't like you know um completely destroyed and rebuilt and so you still have the really medieval planning where it's just these kind of winding streets with Mm -hmm. houses kind of um just wonky stuck stuck together yeah yep mm -hmm, yeah and so um what happens when you don't plan (laughs) it's it's just an interesting to to experience both in in the city and so close together really because as soon as you start going up the hill you start getting into those kinds of um those neighborhoods where you can just easily get lost in the in the twisty pleasantly lost in the pleasant uh twisting streets and the but then you get back down on that that main like boulevard area and it's just these wide streets and um uh you know obviously much bigger buildings and and all of that so you can kind of tell the time difference as well because some of the architecture up on the hills is much much older than um some of the fortifications that are still up there uh like castle walls and things like that um, but uh, obviously everything down below is all from the same kind of architectural style of, um, of the 1700s when, when this was all being rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Very cool. What do you think, Kate? Um, I mean, it's hard for me not to, uh, be a, a, um, travel agent for Lisbon. It's such a, <laughs> like that's all I, I was like. It's a beautiful city. It's so amazing. You must go there. Um, and I, I remember, uh, you know, at the time that I was visiting the city, um, 
I was kind of, I was, I was experiencing my own experience of it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me explain what I'm getting at. No, okay. Jama will go to a city and she wants to learn about its roots and how it came to be today. And I go to a city because I want to see how it is today, you know, which is kind of the fun thing about traveling with Jama is we bring those two separate um, perspectives. So um, I look back at it now kind of trying to glean from my memory like a couple different museum pieces or conversations we had with with locals um just how important the the triple threat disaster had been um to their forming of the city or, or you know regrowth of the city and it's just fascinating how they they just didn't have any records from prior to they were such a proud city so proud of their long-standing history uh they but you know, like you had mentioned from the very beginning, they um, the city was established, you know, long before Madrid. It sounds mm -hmm. like they're very proud of that. But then they have so little to, in terms of like uh, buildings or artifacts, you know, to kind of that go, that go that far back. Yeah, back. because it had all been destroyed. So it's a very fascinating experience to to be part of. Sounds so beautiful. I'm so yeah. jealous. You guys got to go. <laughs> <laughs> well. Ladies, you know, sometimes I like to finish with a poem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not always. There's not always a poem, but in this case, there were many poems written <laughs> about this event. But I have chosen one from Protestant preacher John, well John Wesley. He's the founder of Methodism. I don't think and he was in he Lisbon at the time, but... He was not... I actually think he might be American. Uh-huh. I think so. 1703 to 1791 was his lifetime. So he, he had written a tract uh, just a couple weeks after the earthquake, which was called Serious Thoughts Occasioned by the Late Earthquake at Lisbon. <laughs> He's just trying to like put it into proper theological perspective here. And the tract, is, I mean, it's... It, that's not poetry, but he ends with the poem. So, which actually is intended to be put to music and uh, it's supposed to go into the hymnal, the Methodist hymnal. Uh, here we go. You okay, Jama? Sorry, continue. Fall out of your chair. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Whoa! To the men on earth who dwell, nor dread the almighty frown. Doth all his wrath reveal and showers his judgments down. Sinners, expect those heaviest showers. To meet your God prepare. When lo, the seventh angel pours his vial in the air. Awake, ye guilty souls, awake. Nor sleep till Tophet takes you in. The Lord of hosts is risen to shake the earth polluted with your sin. So he was door number one. He was door number one. <laughs> okay. You know, there's some poems, there's some really bland poems about door number two, where they were like, um, not thinking it was an act of God, but they weren't as good as that. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good poem. It was. <laughs> but yeah, there you go. Well, awesome. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really excited that we got to do one where uh, some of us had been to the location. Yay. Yeah. There will be more of those. Yeah. So what's, what is next week, speaking of that? Uh, well, before we get to that, should we talk about how to survive an earthquake, tsunami? Oh, I if mean, you have some advice fire, for us, yeah. My thought is if there's a tsunami, higher ground. Excellent. 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 Um, you know, and a warning system would be great. But uh, sometimes you don't get those. Um, but the here in Spokane, Washington, the tsunami is pretty rare. Relatively rare, I would yes. say. <laughs> we are a ways from the mountains. I mean, from the sea, and there's a big mountain chain. But you know, there's always the the lake tsunamis. Um, those are a thing, right? So we're in danger. I mean, I guess an earthquake would make a lake splash a little bit. <laughs> splash. <laughs> Um, I'm personally more interested in uh, earthquake, um, the whole, do you stay indoors? Do you go outside? Do you stay in a doorway? Uh, I feel like, I don't know. I, I think I stay in a doorway. Like stop, I drop and roll. No, <laughs> that's, that's the fire.
which is great. We're covering the fire too, but yes, if you're caught on fire, if you're just seeing a fire, if there happens to be a fire and you're just looking at it, you don't have to stop, drop, and roll. Okay. It's only if you are physically on fire. Okay. So that solves that problem. Uh, and also run away from the fire. But earthquakes, yeah, you need to find you need to find the strongest, either either the strongest structure to stand under, which normally it would be a doorway or a strong point in your home or whatever building you're in, uh, or if you can, uh, get free of large structures like go, you know. So you're going, pretty, you're pretty safe if you're hanging out in a field, right? But going outside, so I live in a two-story house, and I live in a block full of two-story houses, and if I go outside into the middle of the street, um, that's probably safe, because a two-story house isn't going to get me, but uh, right. if, if I'm in the middle of a- collapses, it's not going to hurt you. But if I'm in the middle of a city where it's a six-story to, who knows, 120-story, um, don't go out into the street. Yeah. Just, and in fact, I think they say mostly get under your desk mm-hmm. in that situation. I'm assuming it's a business. <laughs> I guess if it's your house, get under whatever is the strongest, your table mm-hmm. or your desk. But it's not a perfect solution. Yeah. But that's what we got. Yep. Um, we just have so much more going for us now than the 1755 disaster because uh, it's just the ability to... Have... We still can't predict earthquakes, but we can we can kind of say like oh there might be you know we can see that there's like tension building here yeah or if you get little tremors yeah you can say oh you know we might be looking at a a bigger one coming through yep um and there's just a better general awareness of oh i live on a uh a plate um what do we call those where the plates come together a fault a fault fault thank you um you know back in the 1755 era you just settled where you settled and you didn't have the information of like, oh, I'm, my town is on a fault line or it's just kind of fascinating right. how much we, we take for granted of, uh, what we know about how the, how the earth operates now. Well, and it's also pretty common knowledge now that if there's an earthquake, uh, a tsunami is likely to follow. Yeah. Although I still feel like we haven't got that lesson down as well as we should. Because I'm thinking about just like the the Indian Ocean tsunami that hit and the like just in the past like in my lifetime, in my adult lifetime, there have been several where, you know, the number of people who died in the tsunami was in the tens of thousands, even up to a hundred a hundred thousand or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's insane. Um so because you you know if there is, if there was an earthquake somewhere we should be able to kind of predict which which way the water might go and who might be dealing with with a tsunami and I think in America we do okay I in fact I know we do working for the Red Cross for a while we would get these alerts saying okay there was an earthquake in Indonesia and that might mean that Hawaii could have could see waves you know several days t- out yeah waves as tall as tall as you know ten feet high. So you can warn warn people to stay off the beach mm-hmm. that at that time. It always uh, hurts the like the least, um, you know, the countries with the least infrastructure the worst. Exactly, I mean, that's... the fewest resources. Right. The, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, next week on that happy note, mm-hmm. yeah. Next week, what are we? I mean, be? I tried to end with a happy poem. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, this will make you happy. Next week, we are going to do the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, Ooh. fun. I have a list of disasters, real disasters that have happened there. Um, crashes and disappearances and sinkings and things like that. So it will be... And some a- good conspiracy theories? Uh, I, well, that's not what we're here for. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, there might be, there might be, we might have some fun with that. But really, okay. I want to tell like the, the true disasters that have happened in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, which are the things that have made people think mm-hmm. there's something mysterious going on in that triangle yeah so, mm-hmm. because real people have real people have died there yeah and had disasters so i just thought that'd be a nice little 
Hospital Disaster Podcast episode. So that's mm-hmm. for next week. All right. And in the meantime, people can get updates um, online or through social media. So they can see us at uh, our website, which is calamitypodcast.com. We have our bios up, uh, who your hosts are. And in addition, we've got links to all the episodes and uh, some other goodies. And then you can find us on Facebook just by searching Calamity Podcast. Our Twitter handle is Podcast Calamity. And... Last but not least, our email is calamitypodcast at yahoo.com. We would love to hear your suggestions for what our next episode w- might be. Yes, or any thoughts, or you know what? Corrections, that's fine too. <laughs> if, you, if you know more than we do, feel free. Yep. Send us a correction. Yeah, we're not above that. But until then, everybody stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe.